Good morning. We are continuing our, our series of lessons, uh, looking at those who have been called throughout Scripture to a, a purpose or to some plan of God, and reminding ourselves of the fact that uh, the call of God is sometimes uh, thrust upon us, whether we want it to be or not. Sometimes the call of God is something that uh, can make us lonely. Sometimes the call of God is something that um, we can thwart through our own sin, that, but that doesn't mean that necessarily the call goes away. Uh, sometimes the call of God is something that is obvious and explicit. Sometimes the call of God might be something subtle. Uh, we've been looking at these different calls, and uh, when I think about, about my own life, um, you know, I think there are times that, that the call of God uh, might be something that we would love to be able to say, uh, you know, it's like God showed up on my doorstep in the form of a burning bush, or God showed up on my doorstep in some theophany, in some incredible way, or he, like, with a thunderous voice, proclaims to me what I ought to be doing. But I'll say sometimes, and I would say most of the time, it's probably not quite like that. When I think about uh, the, the move that we made from Louisiana to here, um, there were a lot of things that went into that. Uh, I never got an obvious indication in the clouds written in the heavens above that uh, we were supposed to make that move. Uh, but there was a lot of prayer. There was a direct call. Uh, by the, the church here, uh, offering the, the opportunity to come and do ministry. There was a lot of conversation with the church that I was with in Louisiana, with people that I loved and cared about very much, and, and there was a lot of conversation with my wife, and there was a lot of prayer, and there was a lot of thought, and all of those are somewhat subtle, but they all, I think, play a role in d discovering what a call is. Now, another thing that I think is true, and this is a point that I hope will be made uh, throughout I think, maybe I'm wrong, uh, I think if I would have stayed in Louisiana, I bet you guys still would have been just fine. And I think the church in Louisiana probably would have been, like, I, I don't think God would have said, oh, well, now I can't use Travis anymore, or now I can't use the church at Maryville, or now I can't use the church in Louisiana, or now whoever you guys hired, he's useless. Like, I don't think, <laughs> uh, I don't think that the call necessarily is something that ties God's hands behind his back. Uh, I think God is able to use a lot of different possible scenarios to bring about his will. Uh, and so when you find yourself with decisions to make, think about them, pray about them, try to do the will of God, but also trust that God could use you right where you are, and God could use you where you go, and God could use you along the journey. And sometimes he'll use you in very obvious ways. And sometimes you might not even know that you were used until looking back at your life 20 years later and realizing, oh, apparently that was significant. Uh, apparently that moment that I didn't even think about, God was doing something. I think that's happened quite a bit. Uh, in, in my life, there are moments looking back where I think I see that type of thing. And I bet you can think of that too if you spend some time meditating on it. In fact, I, I would encourage you, spend some time meditating on things. Spend some time meditating on what has happened in your life that has led to where you are now? And see if perhaps you can find instances where maybe you ought to give thanks to God. Where maybe uh, God has been at work and you didn't even know it, but it sure seems like it now as you look back. Uh, when I think about the move here, I was just thinking about this earlier. I am, I am so thankful uh, that we have had the opportunity to work with this church. And there's three things really in particular that uh, have, have uh, uh, 
I've recently been thankful for. Uh, one of them is, I believe this church has a fantastic eldership. Uh, and I would encourage each one of you to reflect about, uh, upon the work that they do, upon uh, how much they genuinely do care about this church, uh, about how hard the, the work that they do is, and to realize that when you have a united group of, of believers, they're doing a lot that's right. Be sure and give them thanks for that. Um, I also am very thankful for the mission work that this church is involved in. Uh, the more that I learn about it, the more excited I get about the work that we're contributing to, not just here in Maryville, Tennessee, but throughout the world, and specifically a lot of the work that's going on in Albania. Uh, I talked to Albert uh, just a little bit this morning on Facebook about uh, the baptism that they had there, and as a mother of three, and uh, she was 38 years old, and uh, really, it's things like that are exciting. When you get, when you get to be a part of a whole family that's starting to make changes for the Lord on the other side of the world. Like, that's something you get to be a part of. And that, that's meaningful and that's exciting. So I, that's something that excites me. And then also just the church here in general. Uh, many of the, the Christians here that we've been able to build good relationships with, uh, we're very thankful for this call. Sometimes the call, it works out in such a way that uh, it brings tremendous blessing and benefit to your life. And I would say, uh, for me and my family, it has so far. So I wanna thank you all very much uh, for uh, accepting me in here and uh, just know that I'm very thankful for the work that we're doing together. There are calls, however, that as you read through them in the Bible, there is benefit and there is blessing, but sometimes the people who are called don't get to see it. And what I mean is, uh, like, we have moved here, and I can very quickly, immediately start rattling off some wonderful things that have happened in, 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 for my family. I think spiritually things are going well. I've, I, I like living near the mountains. You know, like, there's, there's a lot of things that are very uh, good about the move that we had here. But we're about to read about someone who was called, and the blessing of his call yeah, it pops up a couple times in his life, but his life is really one that's filled with a lot of confusion. It's filled with some heartbreak. It's filled with a lot of difficulties. And the ultimate purpose of his call is not recognized in his lifetime. This is a long call. This is a long call based on long-term promises of God. These are promises that God is making to someone that won't come to fruition for 400 years and then for 2,000 years. I mean, it's, it's a very long call that he gets to be a part of. And I wonder sometimes the calls that we might be a part of, how often it is that even if we live our whole life and on our deathbed many years from now, looking back upon our life, we still won't see the role that we're playing in the ultimate plan of God because maybe it's something that's taking a while. Maybe God's timetable isn't always the same as ours. We're going to be talking about Abram, and later Abraham, uh, this morning. And Abram is someone who made tremendous sacrifices. He's someone who had a call in his life that took a really long time to come to fruition. But that was just a small sample of what the ultimate call is that will take literally thousands of years to come about. And that we're a part of today, this call that was made so long ago. And I think sometimes we can have those types of calls. Sometimes it might seem like it was immediate and God is using me right now and great things are happening. Sometimes it might be something that at the end of your life you look back on and realize, oh wow, I was part of something cool. And sometimes it might be something where you're a small part in something that's taking place over decades, centuries, millennium. And we don't even know about it because God doesn't always move as quickly as we would like. 
We're going to talk about Abram, and we're going to talk specifically about the fact that he was given a long call and a long promise, and he struggled with that daily. And I think that's perhaps something we can relate to sometimes. Now, look with me at Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. So Abram already at this point has been on the move. He is from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is going to be basically the area close to Babylon. He's going to move up what is called the Fertile Crescent, and he's going to go uh, and live in the land of Haran, and he's going to settle there with his family. And while there, he's going to be given a call from God to leave his family and go to a brand new land that he's never seen or experienced before. If you look at Genesis chapter 12, I'll read the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed." Now, if you've noticed, there's a word that pops up a whole lot in that little paragraph, and it's the word blessed. And that connects back to some earlier stories, like Adam and Eve, uh, there in the garden, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Or you can look after the story of Noah, where uh, Noah brings blessing to his sons. Uh, after after uh, the sin of Ham, you have uh, Japheth and Shem are blessed. Uh, and then you can see right here, uh, Abram is promised that through him blessing will come, not just to him, although that's a part of it, but also to the whole world. And that's really, really significant because up to this point in the story of Genesis, God has been dealing with the whole world. God has been trying to full, you know, multiply and fill the earth, and God has been trying to demonstrate a relationship with the whole earth. But what you end up seeing is every time God makes one of these uh, plans and covenants with the earth, sin ends up coming along and wreaking havoc on it, whether it's in the garden, whether it's with Cain, whether it's with Noah, or whether it's with the Tower of Babel. And the thing that happens in the chapter right before Abram is called is the Tower of Babel story, where people, through their pride, try to construct this huge monument, ultimately to their own name, to make their name great. And uh, God ends up dispersing them throughout the land, their languages are changed, and all of a sudden, you have that same pride and divisive attitude throughout the whole world now. And so what is God going to do? Is he going to wipe out the world again with another flood and start over? No, he already said he wasn't going to do that. What he's going to do instead is he's going to work through a man and through a family to, over the long haul, bring about blessing to the whole world again. His plan is not to give up on the world, and his plan is not to wipe out the world. His plan is to bless the whole world again. And he's going to do that through the call of Abram. So Abram is going to be called for this grand mission that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed and all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that's really like a huge call. When I think about you know, things that, uh, that might be on my table of, thing, of responsibilities, blessing every family on earth is not really on it. You know, I think, well, that's, I'll leave that to someone who's a little bigger than me. Uh, but God is calling Abram to do that. And of all people, you would think Abram is like the least likely in the world. For one thing, he and his wife can't have a kid. And so it's going to be really hard for them to end up uh, producing this, this whole nation of people. Not only can they not have a kid, they couldn't have a kid when they're younger. Now they're older. They're certainly not going to be able to have a kid. They're well past the years of, of having children. He, he's an old man, and so is his, his wife's not an old man, but his wife's an old lady. Uh, and so like, they're beyond the, the childbearing years. 
even when they were in childbearing years, they couldn't do it. And up to this point, they don't even really know who God is. It's like their, their religious experience has been that of the culture around them. He's ultimately a pagan at this point. And so God is calling this man, the unlikeliest man in the world, and saying, through you, I'm going to bring about tremendous blessing to the world, and you're going to die long before it ever happens. You want to do it? Here's all you have to do. Leave everything you've ever known and everyone you've ever loved and pack up and go to a new dangerous land where you know absolutely nothing that's there. You know, when we moved from Louisiana to here, I did some research on the city and I got on the internet and I looked at things. I even drove up here and checked it out a little bit. I looked at real estate, I looked at schools, I looked at parks, I looked at uh, restaurants, I looked at all sorts of things to try to get a good layout of what it was gonna be like here. You know what Abram couldn't do? Google. Uh, he, he didn't have the ability to, uh, to do that type of research. And you know what was kind of dangerous in uh, those times? To leave your family, to leave your home, and to go to a completely new area. One of the, one of the, the reasons that um, it was helpful to stay by family well, there's a couple of things. One, you usually lived with your family. Like, generations lived in the same household, multiple generations after generation, and you would become, like, the, the head of your household, or you would become part of it, and then, like, the kids underneath you would grow up, and then they would take over the household, and their kids would grow up, and you would have three to four generations living in a household, and that's going to give you an awful lot of help in making sure that uh, you can do all the work that needs to be done to survive, whether it's growing your crops or whether it's fixing your house or all of these different things. You also had um, avengers of blood. Like if anyone ever killed someone in your family, uh, your family would respond in kind to them. Uh, and it is, you, you might think, well, that's not a good thing and it's, it's not a very good thing, but here's what it does. It at least motivates people not to kill you. Uh, you know, if they know that people are gonna then come and kill them. And, and so you have that type of attitude. When you leave your family behind, behind, you're leaving behind your help, you're leaving behind your protection, you're leaving behind your, your covenant loyal community, you know, your people who you, who you are supposed to be loyal to and who are supposed to be loyal to you, you're leaving all of that behind and you're going to wild, dangerous areas. When people see a foreigner coming in, I don't know if you know this, for some reason, when people meet foreigners, they immediately assume like the worst of intentions. People are often suspicious and skeptical about foreigners. And I don't think that's necessarily, I don't think that's a good thing at all. But uh, that's something Abram's going to have to face. When he goes into a new land, people are going to immediately assume, why is he here? Why, what's he running from? What's he going to bring here with him? We don't want him bringing his foreign stuff into here. And all of a sudden, like, he's going to have to overcome those types of issues, prejudices and things like that. And so this is a, a really bad decision, if not for the call of God. But God calls him, he ends up going to the promised land and scoping it out. And he sees there that the land's really nice and really good, and that's the land that God is going to give to him. Although, again, it's not really going to be his. It'll be his descendants many, many, many years after him. Uh, you come to find out that his descendants aren't even going to get it for 400 years. Uh, they're going to be in slavery until that time period. And then when they have it, uh, it's still going to be a long time before they ultimately bring about blessing to the whole world. But Abraham is part of this call now. What's fascinating about it is he has to struggle so much with trusting and understanding how this can possibly happen. Because remember, he can't have kids. That doesn't seem to be on the table for him. And so he's been given this call. And I, I tend to think that Abram's life is a lot like the story of Israel, only 
a small scale. His, 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 he's, a, he's a microcosm of, of the whole story of Israel. Um, so, for example, what does Abram do right after this call? He, there's a drought in the land, and he goes down to Egypt, and he's terrified that they're going to kill him in Egypt. And so he ends up saying that his wife, Sarah, is his sister, and then he gives his wife to the Pharaoh's household, to, to the palace, and, uh, and Abram ends up getting some blessing from them. If it was his wife, he thinks, well, they'll just kill me and take her because she's beautiful and they're going to want her for themselves. And so he goes to a dangerous place, and in fear, he gives his wife away. Okay, a couple of things about that. One of them is Abram's really not understanding this promise of God. If the first thing you do when you find out that you're going to end up having a bunch of descendants is give your wife away. She's kind of important for that process of having descendants. Um, And so doing that was a really bad decision on his part. But also it demonstrates how hostile things are in Egypt. And do you know what God ends up doing to the Egyptians? He ends up sending plagues on them. Like while Abram is down there, plagues hit the Egyptians, and then they end up giving him his wife, giving him a bunch of goods, and then he leaves the land. That's, that's Genesis 12. Well, that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? The children of Israel end up going to Egypt. They end up being oppressed there. They end up having e- plagues fall upon the Egyptians before they leave, and they leave with a lot of the wealth of Egypt behind them. Uh, what happens at the very beginning of the story is Abram lives out the whole story that Israel is going to endure. But not only that, Abram's life from this point forward is one of a lot of ups and downs as he tries to struggle and wrestle through this promise that God has given him. And that's a lot like what the story of Israel is. Israel's whole story is a struggle. It's a wrestle. That's actually what the word Israel means, the one who wrestles with God. Uh, And so, like, Israel will ultimately bring about blessing, but man, there's a lot of confusion and ups and downs and hardships and missteps along the way. You want to talk about missteps? Look at the life of Abram. Abram thinks, okay, so I'm supposed to become this great nation. The first thing I'll do is I'll give my wife to Pharaoh. And God says, no, take her back. You're not going to do that. And so then you get to a Genesis chapter 15. And uh, notice what Abram says here to God. Genesis 15, uh, verse 1 and 2. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? So here's what Abram seems to be thinking. Maybe, maybe it won't be through an actual physical kid of mine. That seems impossible, but I do have an heir. His name is Eleazar. Uh, And so maybe God is going to work through him. And God ends up saying uh, in verse 3, Uh, Sorry, verse, uh, yeah, verse 3, Abram keeps saying, Since you have given me no offspring, uh, one uh, one born in my house to be my heir, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. So the first misstep he has is giving his wife away. Then he starts to misunderstand God's promise, like, well, maybe it'll be through my heir, but not through an actual descendant. And God says, no, he's going to come from your body. So then you get to chapter 16, and he thinks, okay, if he's going to come from my body, he certainly can't come from Sarah's body. And so Sarah offers up one of her, her maids, one of her servants to Abram. And Abram marries her, named Hagar, and they end up having a kid. And Abram's like, all right, got it. I solved God's problem. We now have a descendant, and his name is Ishmael, and he's the one that God's going to work through. And God has to come and say, 
No, that's also not it. It's going to come from Sarah's body too. And so then you get to uh, chapter, uh, chapter 18, and this is where God shows up in the form of a man, which is really fascinating, and they have a meal together, and uh, they begin talking, and God says, no, it's going to be through Sarah's body. And uh, Sarah begins to laugh at the absurdity of the idea. By the way, time has been passing. It's like he was about 75 when he was called. It was about 10 years later or so that Ishmael was born. Now it's getting to be about uh, 14, 15 years after that. He's getting close to 100 years old now, and he's been waiting 25 years for this promise God gave him, and he's like, I'm going to die before this thing even happens, so what is, you have to have some other plan in mind, and God says, nope, uh, you and Sarah are going to have a baby. The unlikeliest story of all is what's actually going to happen, and so Abram says, okay, fine, and so he finds out that Sarah, within the next year, is going to have a child, and you know what he does after hearing that glorious news? Uh, Look at uh, chapter 20 of Genesis This is in between hearing that she's going to have a baby within a year. By the way, it's possible she's pregnant when this story takes place. This is in between her hearing that message and having the child. We find out that um, Abram, on the way to a place called Gerar, in verse 2 of chapter 20, Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is my sister, so Abimelech, king of Gerar, took, uh, uh, sent and took her. He does the same thing. Like the same thing he did with Pharaoh, where he said, this is my sister, and Pharaoh takes him. He does that with Abimelech, king of Gerar. And then he takes Sarah. It's like, stop doing that, Abraham. You're supposed to have a child with this woman. Quit giving her to these other kings. Uh, And then Abimelech ends up, his household uh, in the country ends up being plagued. And he's saying, why did you do this to us? Why didn't you just be honest with me? And so Abraham, out of fear, he keeps coming up with all of these really bad ideas, whether it's to say his wife is a sister and to give her to Pharaoh, or whether it's to uh, think that it's going to be through Eliezer of Damascus, or whether it's to uh, have, uh, take on a different wife and maybe try to have the heir through, uh, through Hagar, or maybe it's uh, to, to, to doubt God and to laugh. And then when God says, no, within the year, your wife's going to have a child. And he says, oh, okay, here she is, Abimelech. And he gives her away again. And you think, you're Abraham's journey is not a smooth one with understanding this promise. But you know what finally, finally happens? She is pregnant. She does have a child. That child's name is Isaac. And the child is born. And look at uh, Genesis chapter 22. Isaac has finally come. Like, miraculously, in their old age, they have had this child Verse 20, chapter 22 and verse 1, and it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Like 25 years in the making, uh, trying to do everything possible to have this heir. And God keeps saying, no, it's not going to be Eleazar. No, it's not going to be uh, through some other means. No, it's not going to be through Hagar. No, it's going to be through Sarah. Finally happens. Sarah is taken twice. He ends up getting her back twice. Like every problem you can imagine emerges. And he finally is able to hold his child. Then God says, by the way, here's what you're going to do with that child. Go offer him up as a burnt offering. And you think, 
what in the world is God even doing? Like, why, that doesn't sound like God. That doesn't sound like, like the Lord that we worship. Why, he doesn't do that. And, and all of a sudden, tremendous confusion. But the thing I think we have to remember is Abraham doesn't actually know this God very well at this point. He has appeared several times to him. He's given him several really difficult calls and commissions and commands. And Abram's trying to figure this stuff out as he goes. And now all of a sudden he's told this terrible thing to do. But you know what? There were people in Canaan who did that. Child sacrifice was something that some of the other gods did require. And people did that. And all of a sudden Abraham realizes, is this God like one of those? Is he like the other gods of Canaan? Is he one of the... And he has this incredibly difficult decision to make, but here's what Abraham has learned to do. Through all the highs and the lows, he's learned that he can trust this God. He doesn't always know what this God's going to do. I think right now he has no clue what this God's going to do, but he seems to have developed a trust in him so that it appears that Abraham is going to trust somehow through this child... I am going to have more descendants. I don't know how. Uh, it's kind of like giving your wife away to, to Pharaoh. You, you, like, you don't, how is this still going to happen if I give my wife away? Well, something's going to have to intervene. Abraham seems to know something is going to happen. The book of Hebrews suggests he thinks there's going to be a resurrection uh, that he might offer Isaac and God will raise him back to life again as a demonstration of his faithfulness to the promise, but he doesn't know what's going to happen. Anyway, Abraham gets him, binds him, is going to go through it, and God stops him. I think this might be something of an object lesson in the life of Abraham, that God will not let this promise fail, and that God is unlike those other gods you've ever heard of before. Those other gods might require this type of thing if you, Yahweh will not. The God of Israel will never require this type of thing, because that's, the, I think it might be a revelation of something about the nature of God, that he is not the God of death, but he is the God of life. And so it's a radical way of demonstrating to Abraham that the God you serve is different. And so all of this is going into the story of Abraham, and he's trying to figure things out along the way. He eventually, um, Isaac grows, Isaac has children. The promise, we start to see it fulfilled as the rest of Genesis plays out. Um, but I think for our purposes, looking at this story of how Isaac came about and what happened once he was born, there are some important lessons uh, for us to learn as well. Um, the first one is that a long relationship with God is going to be full of a lot of confusion, a lot of doubt, and a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, prepare for that. A journey of faith is not always about smooth, clear, pristine answers. It's about walking with a God you don't entirely understand. It's about walking with a God who's kind of unpredictable. It's about walking with a God that you trust is good, although sometimes it's hard to figure out or impossible to figure out exactly what this God is going to do. We trust that he's good, even if the journey with him is rocky. Uh, Abraham certainly experienced that, and he's kind of the prototype of what a long relationship with God is going to be and what the long promises of God are going to, to take. Secondly, I would say one of the lessons you could learn from this is that trusting God is a better practice than trying to force God's hand. Maybe we should, as difficult as it is, learn to be more passive sometimes uh, in our walk with God and see what he does rather than always try to jump ahead of his plans. 
So Abram, like whether it's giving his wife away or whether it's the whole mess with Hagar and Ishmael, like he's trying to force God's hand into something. And God is saying, just be patient. Just be patient. Just trust and be patient. And that's super hard to do because uh, uh, one of the things you'll notice as you read through the Bible, people don't usually complain that God moves too quickly and too easily. Uh, Usually it's the opposite. Usually God's a little too slow for most of our liking. Uh, And so we want God to hurry up. We want answers now. And God doesn't always give them. A third lesson that I think we should take from this is that if you're going to have a a relationship with God for the long haul, and if you're going to trust the long promises of God, you have to talk to him and talk to him regularly. Um, Abraham is interesting with when he chooses to talk with God and when he doesn't. Look, God says he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, a wicked place, right? And Abraham has a conversation and haggles with God. And he's like, well, what if there's 50 righteous there? You won't destroy it then. And God says, no, I won't destroy it if there's 50 righteous. What about five less than that? What about 10 less than that? And he actually moves all the way down to 10 people. He's like, if there's 10 good folk there, don't destroy it. And God says, sure, I won't destroy it. Like, God doesn't argue with him. God lets Abraham talked to him, and God listens, and God gives answers, and there's a whole wonderful conversation. Like, God meets with Abraham several times to to have these conversations with him. What should Abraham have done when he was going to Egypt, and he started being afraid, are they going to take Sarah from me? Maybe instead of hatching his own scheme, he should have talked to God again. What about before he slept with Hagar, and took her on to be his wife, and had a child with her? Maybe he should have talked to God. Maybe when that whole uh, command to, to offer up Isaac as a burnt offering came about, maybe he should have questioned that a little bit and said, wait a minute, God, let's, let's talk about this. It seems that sometimes Abraham is willing to speak, but sometimes Abraham is silent to his detriment. And Abraham might be an encouragement to us. Don't be afraid to be completely honest with God. Don't be afraid to lay out before God the things you don't understand and the things maybe you don't even like. Maybe God can handle that, and maybe that's actually part of building a relationship. If you can't trust God enough to complain to him, then there's still room for growth in your relationship with him because that is, that is something that takes trust. In order to lament to God, you can't do that without trusting God. It's an act that says, even though I'm going to say some things that, that might not even be right, I'm going to completely, honestly pour my heart out to you about what's going on right now. And I don't think God will be upset about that. I think that's actually something that can bring you closer to him. Don't be afraid to be honest with God and to talk to him throughout the long, difficult journey. And then finally, I would say a fourth lesson we can learn from this, and we've already mentioned it, is that God calls the unlikeliest of people. And you actually see that all the way through Genesis. One of the, one of the, motifs that pops up over and over again as people expecting the firstborn son to be the blessed one, but it's always like the, the younger one, the second or, or the last one. That happens repeatedly. Um, and it's just a subtle way of giving nod to the fact that humans might have a way that we think things ought to work, and God just about always subverts them. And when it comes to Abram, if you're going to call someone and say, you know what, if, if I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to start a nation. I tell you who I'm going to choose a young, newly married couple who's uh, gonna, going to be uh, fertile and have a bunch of kids who are really righteous, wonderful folk, and I think that's a great place to start. That's not the way God does it. 
God looks and he sees uh, someone who up to this point had been living a life of idolatry and up to this point uh, had never been able to have a kid and is well beyond the years of being able to. And he says, ah, the perfect couple. And, and, and that's the one that God chooses. And he doesn't even, like, if God would have waited until they were about to have Isaac and then said, hey, next year you're going to have Isaac, that probably would have been a lot easier than 25 years earlier saying it and then giving them no information as to how and when this is going to happen and just saying, trust me along the journey. But God sometimes just wants us to trust him along the journey. And so if you find yourself with the mindset that you're unable, or perhaps because of that you're unwilling to take on a new call, to take on a new ministry in the church, to teach a Bible class, to have a Bible study with someone who you know is searching, uh, to be able to, uh, to reach out to someone who's, if, if you look at your life and you think, well, that's not really the type of thing that I'm good at. Well, Abraham and Sarah weren't too great at having kids, uh, but God was able to use them anyway. And I would say maybe Take a step out in faith and see what God does sometimes. Maybe challenge yourself in new ways and trust along the difficult journey that God might help see you through. I think you might be surprised at what happens. Uh, I think that happens a lot, actually. When people step out in faith and try to take on a new responsibility in their obedience and in their service to God and the community of faith, God uses that and God blesses that. So give it a try. And if there's anyone here um, this morning who would like to become a Christian, who would like the prayers and the help of the church, you can meet with one of our elders in the library in the back and talk to them in private, or you can come up here and sit on the front row, and uh, we would love to be able to help you while we stand and as we sing.